Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Since we're going to cover quite a bit this morning, I'm not going to have you stand for the reading, um, but uh, do bow with me and, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning and for the opportunity to study your word. We just thank you for your word, Lord, because it is uh, a light to our path and a lamp to our feet and we uh, we need it desperately Lord to to know how to walk and, and how to serve you we pray Lord that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning I ask for your help Lord for your anointing I can do nothing without you God so I just put uh, this message into your hands because it's your word Lord in Jesus name Amen <clears throat> Okay, we're looking uh, at the end of, of Jesus' ministry, and it has been quite a week or so for Jesus since he entered Jerusalem. In fact, he entered the city with shouts of Hosanna, with praises, with people laying their their cloaks and their coats and, and palm branches uh, welcoming him in as uh, the king and he cursed a fig tree cleansed the temple of the money changers and the, the merchants um, had a final exchange of wits with the scribes then the Pharisees and then the Sadducees who obviously came unarmed to this battle he ate his last Passover with uh, his disciples, washed their feet, and announced that one of them was going to betray him. And from there, he went with the 11 who remained faithful to that point, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he made one final plea to the Father if there was any other way to save mankind from their sins now was the time to do it and of course there wasn't and then Judas came with the temple guard they took Jesus away and Peter followed you know, at a distance to the courtyard of the home of the high priest where the kangaroo court was being held. And that's where we're going to pick up our, our lesson today is Jesus being taken by the guards to a hastily called meeting of the Sanhedrin. And I can just envision it now. These guys gleeful when Judas approached them and volunteered his services to 
let them be able to take Jesus away from the crowd, away from the eyes of those who, who supported him. And when all this was put into place and they knew that, that Judas was gone with the, with the guard, that they knew where to, he knew where to find Jesus, they put this meeting together and in eager anticipation, I mean, they just couldn't wait for him to get back with the prisoner. They had a plan. It was all working out. All they had to do now is, is work their plan. And you know, the hypocrisy of these guys is nowhere more evident than it was on this night. I mean, these were the religious leaders of Israel. These were the learned ones who knew the law and kept it to the letter. They're the ones who condemned Jesus for not doing things the way that they did things, not keeping the customs of their elders. They were the ones who lifted themselves up and looked down on others because of their lack of devotion to God and to the law that Moses had given them. Jesus knew these characters well, and he knew their hypocrisy well. Matthew tells us what he thought of them, and Jesus told them what he thought of them. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside of them may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you are outwardly you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Well, no wonder they didn't like him. He exposed them for what they are. You know, and it was here in the home of the high priest where the council gathered together that truth and deception come face to face in the most dramatic way. Now, there had been confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders throughout Jesus' ministry. But here, everything was on the line. It was now or never. It was a matter of life and death. The religious leaders were fearful of losing their position, their prestige, and their influence. Their whole way of life was on the line here. And they were willing to sacrifice the very basic principles they claimed to stand for, 
the very foundation of Judaism for their personal vendetta against this unlearned itinerant preacher from backwoods Galilee. They were going to show him a thing or two that they were right and they knew what was best. And this was an illegal meeting from the beginning. First of all, it was convened at night. The Sanhedrin was prohibited from meeting at night under any circumstances. And secondly, when they met for the purpose of trying a prisoner, they were not allowed to pass sentence until the next day to give time for cooler heads to prevail, for the passion of the moment to pass, to be able to think things through. And of course, you know, they tried to make a pretense of legality, keeping things on the up and up, so as not to evoke the wrath of the people on themselves. So they did things like a trial was supposed to be. They called witnesses. The verdict had been reached, though, long before Jesus got there. Let's read these first verses. beginning at verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many false witnesses, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some of them began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. They were looking for legitimacy in their their trial of Jesus so they brought the witnesses and I'm sure the witnesses were actually an embarrassment to the trial because they couldn't agree on what it was they said we heard him say I will destroy this temple made with hands and within three days and within three days I will build another made without hands you know Jesus actually didn't say that he said, destroy this temple 
and in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to his body and to what they would do to him, not the temple that was made with hands. You know, it's hard for one person to keep a lie straight, isn't it? And any trial lawyer will tell you that no matter how smart a witness is and how much you coach him, you know, any halfway decent lawyer at cross-examination can uncover a lie. Sir Walter Scott said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You know, and someone else said it's it's harder to agree on a consistent lie than on a simple truth. You know, Matthew, Matthew tells us that to get Jesus to talk, that the high priest put him under oath. The high priest, and this is in Matthew's account, the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God Tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And it was only then that Jesus answered, and he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. You know, to most of us, it's an amazing thing that Jesus didn't defend himself. How could he stand there, listening to their lies, and knowing that, you know, as he had said previously after Peter whacked off the the ear of the you know, one of the guards, he said, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? Now, I think Jesus is using hyperbole here a little bit. I mean, he didn't need 12 legions of angels. You know, he could take care of them himself. Besides, it wouldn't take 12 legions to take care of these guys. One angel could do it themselves. But he's making his point. You know, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. But I have a greater purpose, and I have a, a greater kingdom. And his silence, I think, was revealing of his true identity. He wasn't going to stoop to their level, and apparently, they had forgotten what Isaiah said of him. Isaiah 53 and 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. How could he stand there? How could he not defend himself? How could he not fight back like an ordinary man would? He was able to because in spite of their blindness, in spite of their hard-heartedness, in spite of their sin, he loved them. He loved them enough to endure the pain, endure the shame, endure the separation from his father that he knew was coming. And how do we know he loved them? Well, on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. 
I think I would be more inclined to say, Father, <laughs> wipe them out right now. But no, he said, Father, forgive them. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That includes these scribes and Pharisees who made up the council that was conducting this kangaroo court. Then the high priest tore his clothes when Jesus answered his question and said, I am. Um, you know, the tearing of one's clothes was, was done to show extreme emotional distress. I mean, tearing their clothes in those days was not quite the same as today because, you know, the high priest couldn't run down to Walmart and get him another robe. You know. Clothes were a more precious commodity. But the tearing of one's clothes to show emotional distress was a heathen practice that was totally forbidden to the high priest by the Levitical law. It says the high priest shall not, under any circumstances, rend his clothing. So, say they were willing to throw the things that they said they stood for out the window in order to conduct their personal vendetta against Jesus. And then some began to spit on him and, to, and they blindfolded him and beat him and said to him, prophesy. And the officer struck him with the palms of their hands. Now this act of the high priest was followed by an outbreak of passion on the rest of the council rushing on him and actually throwing a garment over his head which was a symbol of the death sentence and can you imagine Jesus the one whose name is wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace standing there and allowing these people to mistreat him such. The love of God is an amazing thing, isn't it? Because, you know, the lo love of God was manifest in the person of Jesus Christ on this day. Things were bad for him. Things were going to get worse. We jump over now to chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 1. Immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. 
But Jesus answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. The kangaroo court was held at night, but first thing in the morning, they held the official version of the trial with the Sanhedrin and got him away as quickly as possible to to Pilate. It was the custom, the Roman custom, to conduct business such as trials as soon as possible after sunrise. And they wanted to get him there and get this taken care of as quickly as possible. And so they delivered him to Pilate. Now, the Jews did not have the legal right to execute their own criminals. Now, there were times when they disregarded this, you know, such as the stoning of Stephen. Uh, you know, they were getting ready to do this at the time when they were going to stone the woman taken in adultery. Uh, times like this. Because they could probably get by with it. But in Jesus' case, they knew they couldn't get by with it because the wasn't the Romans they were concerned about. It was the Jews themselves who would not have put up with it. You know, who would have would have called their hand on it. So they were afraid to take things into their own hands concerning Jesus. So they delivered him to Pilate to let him do it. Now Pilate was the governor of Judea at that particular time. And they um, kind of expected, I guess, a a favorable result when they sent Jesus to Pilate. uh, Because secular history shows us that Pilate was a cruel and, and ruthless man, completely insensitive to the moral feelings of others. So surely they thought Pilate won't have any trouble at all putting this man to death. But, you know, there was something working against them too. Um, History also tells us that Pilate didn't like the Jews. He thought that they were a stubborn and, and rebellious people who didn't take their subjugation to the Roman authorities kindly. And Rome didn't like that. They like people to submit nicely. So he was constantly suspicious of them. And when they brought a prisoner to him for execution, he suspected that there was something uh, else going on, a hidden agenda uh, behind all of this. But nevertheless, you know, he had to make a decision. He had to, he had to follow the, the, the normal procedure for a trial. And just like everything in Rome, there was an established procedure, you know, just like we do in this country. There is a, a, a way that you have to go about it. You know, a plaintiff is brought uh, with an indictment against the accused. Uh, the magistrate or the judge or whoever may be examine the uh, accusation and the accused. The sources of evidence were, were uh, considered. And when all the evidence was received, the... Uh, and the court official declared that all the evidence was in. The magistrate was then free to um, consult with advisors and announce the verdict. And the verdict uh, or the sentence then was pronounced. And 
usually the sentence was executed immediately um, now Mark picks this up at the second phase of, of the judicial proceedings where Pilate is examining you know, the accused Jesus he asked him are you the king of the Jews now the Jewish leaders knew that if they brought Jesus to Pilate and told them the real reason that they wanted to get rid of him he wouldn't have anything to do with it the real reason was that he claimed to be God so if they brought Jesus to Pilate and said this this man is claiming to be God Pilate probably would have just said so you know, in Rome we've got hundreds of gods you know what's what's another one you know, yeah big deal but they brought him and said he is claiming to be king he is claiming to be a political ruler a political threat you know, to Rome well you know ironically uh, Jesus stood accused of doing exactly what he refused to do that is taking a political stand against Rome that's what the Jews were looking for is in their Messiah is somebody who would take a stand against Rome and restore Judah and Israel to their what they considered rightful place uh, of their kingdom but he had said nothing against Rome he was the king of the Jews but not in a political or military sense and so he, he said yes to Pilate's question but he said yes in such a way as to require further examination he didn't say yeah I'm the king yeah. he just said it's as you say and so Pilate had to look deeper into this and then they piled on other accusations too Luke goes into a little bit more detail in this you know they accused him of inciting the people to riot if there's one thing that Roman authorities would not put up with in their uh, occupied territory was civil unrest and rioting and the one thing that the rulers the governors the kings the whatever the authorities were in in the occupied areas the one thing that that Rome would not put up with is their leaders allowing riots and civil unrest to take place they said that he's told people not to pay their taxes he didn't do that in fact what did he say he said render to Caesar what Caesar's you know, and to God what's God and that he fancied himself the king in political opposition to Rome he was in not in political opposition to anybody his kingdom was above the politics of, of this world and then finally the fourth uh, charge was that he stirred up the people teaching all beginning in in uh, all Judea beginning in Galilee even down to Jerusalem to withstand 
the Roman occupation, the Roman authorities. So we're told then that Pilate marveled. You know, no doubt Pilate had witnessed many, many prisoners brought to him who groveled before him for their life. Defending themselves with, you know, passionate pleas. And here was a guy who said nothing. Who just, who just stood there. Such silence was totally foreign and totally unusual to him. And you know, John tells us not only that Pilate marveled, but Pilate was actually a little bit upset about it. You know, it, 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 it bothered him. You know, a judge did not like to pass sentence against a prisoner without the prisoner presenting a defense. You know, and Pilate was no exception. Without a defense, the law was on the side of the accusers. You like the least to hear what the guy has to say for himself. But he said nothing. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels, they had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. You know, Pilate knew that Jesus was an innocent man. Now, Pilate's wife even got involved in this and sent word to him and said, have nothing to do with this man because I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. But Pilate kind of found himself between uh, a rock and a hard place. And even though he was no friend of the Jews, he thought you know, he could manipulate things around a bit and be able to release Jesus, whom he knew to be innocent, and pacify the crowd at the same time. And so he said, yeah, who do you want me to release to you? Well, it didn't work out quite the way that he, he thought it would because the chief priest and, you know, these guys were manipulating the crowd. And you may wonder, you know, was the crowd really this fickle? I mean, it hadn't been but a few days before when they welcomed him into Jerusalem, you know, worshiping him. 
And now they're saying crucify him. I don't believe this was at all the same crowd. First of all, I think the religious leaders had their own crowd there that they knew they could control. Secondly, it was early in the morning, and most of the crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem were people from Galilee who had came down with him. And when people came into Jerusalem for the Passover, most of them stayed on the outside of the city. These were people from the inside of the city. Pilate couldn't manipulate the crowd quite the way that he thought he would be able to. You know, if, if their Sanhedrin, their council, was recommending death for Jesus, and Pilate was wanting to release Jesus, and the council was saying nothing about Barabbas, and Pilate was wanting to, to condemn Barabbas, the crowd was more likely to side with the Sanhedrin than with the Roman governor. Plus the fact that the high priest and, and all the other members of the council were stirring up the crowd to call for, for Jesus. Um, Pilate was trying to find the wrong way to do the right thing. You, know, you can't do the wrong thing, right way. You can't do the right, right thing. I could have said right in a minute. Can't even say the right thing the right way. You can't do the right thing in the wrong way. You know, you got to do the right thing the wrong way. But Pilate figured, you know, if this man claimed to be the king, uh, and was even the slightest bit hostile to Rome, you know, the crowd would love him and want him set free. But the Jewish leaders didn't want him to set, be set free. And it was a strange scene. You know, a cruel, ruthless Roman governor trying to win the life of a miracle-working Jew against the strenuous efforts of the Jewish leaders and the crowd. So they called out again, crucify him. So, he said, what do you want me to do with him? He was hoping at least they would be, be happy to settle for a lesser punishment. You know, beat him and then let him go. The crowd rejected Jesus. The crowd embraced Barabbas. Hardly his name means son of the father. You know, if there's anybody that could say Jesus died for me, it was Barabbas, wasn't it? Because he got to go free. Jesus died. <clears throat> the more Pilate tried to get Jesus released, the more exceedingly they cried out, crucify him. Now, you know, Pilate was getting in a dangerous place here. Like I said a while ago, he was between a rock and a hard place. You know, the rock and the hard place are, are getting bigger and, and harder. The, 
the crowd was almost on the verge of a riot. And there was one thing that would get him in trouble with the Roman authorities, and that was uh, a riot. You know, with both the people and the Jewish leaders demanding the death of Jesus. And Pilate was unwilling to oppose both of them. You know, he began the execution process you know, by having him, him scourged. Now, there's a bit more to the story, too, that Mark doesn't tell us. You know, the real thing that convinced Pilate you know, to hand Jesus over to be crucified. You know, like I said, Pilate didn't like the Jews. He liked to keep the peace. He didn't want to do anything to upset them to the point where they would riot. But he also didn't want to do anything nice for them either, you know. That just wasn't in his nature. You know, he was cruel and ruthless. He didn't mind executing Jews. But he did mind getting in trouble with Rome. And, you know, Matthew tells us, is it Matthew? Yeah, I believe it's Matthew. tells us that the <coughs> religious leaders went to and and went to him and said, you know, if you don't execute this guy, then you are no friend of Caesar's because this guy is claiming to be a king. He's claiming to usurp authority. He is he is inciting uh, people to civil disobedience. And if you don't execute him, then you, know, you are no friend of Caesar's. And, you know, word's going to get back to Rome and you are going to be in trouble. That was the thing that put him over the edge. And he pronounced the sentence to be crucified. The mode of death had to be specified under Roman law. And the crowd was calling for crucifixion. And that's what Pilate pronounced. <coughs> I sang a song the other day in a I forget where I sang it. Some gathering. I didn't sing it by myself. But it said, uh, there's a line in it that said, Jesus went gladly to the cross. And I've been thinking about that. You know, thinking about what all Jesus went through. You know, like I said, you know, between the Sanhedrin and going to see Pilate, you know, things went from bad to worse. And from this point, they're even going to get worse. Did he go gladly to the cross? I don't think so. If he was going gladly to the cross, he wouldn't have prayed to the Father and said, Lord, if there's another way, you know, let's do it. He did it because there was no other way. Now, <clears throat> you people who are parents... Have you ever done something for your children that you didn't want to do? They had gotten in some kind of trouble or something and you, you had to rescue them. You didn't want to do it. But because you loved them, you did. You may not have done this for anybody else, but you would do it for them. Jesus went through all of this. Not gladly but because he had to. 
and he had to because he loved us because he knew there was no other way it was the sin of these Jewish religious leaders of the Roman authorities of you and me that made him go through all this to be willing to suffer we're told that Jesus despised the shame of the cross but yet even in despising it he was willing to go through and do it for you and for me we need to never forget that we need to never forget not just what Jesus went through on the cross not that that was the worst part of it of course but what all he went through just in those hours preceding the cross before Pilate sent him away to be crucified he had him beaten you think for goodness sakes wasn't crucifixion enough they typically beat the prisoners before they sent them away to execution to get them into a weakened state make them more subjective more a bit more docile because most of them didn't go willingly just any one aspect of all of this is bad enough but you put it all together put all he went through has to touch our hearts and has to make us realize how great the Father's love for us, how great beyond all measure. If you don't know him, if this story doesn't touch your heart, then it's time to do some honest seeking. And if you'd like to do some honest seeking, I'd certainly be happy to talk to you. Or find somebody else that you'd rather talk to than me. Lisa?